You're listening to Connecting the Universe from Mike Ricksecker and ConnectedUniversePortal.com. Welcome, everybody, to Connecting the Universe. I'm author and researcher Mike Ricksecker, back at you with a, another interactive class out of the secret library of the Connected Universe. So tonight is a big night. Actually, last night was the bigger night because of the release of my latest book, Travels Through Time, so Inside the Fourth Dimension, Time Travel, and Stack Time Theory, which is what we are going to be covering this evening, time travel, stack time theory, dimensions, all of that wonderful stuff. I do want to thank everybody for the you know, tremendous support uh, that, that went into here. Many people uh, that helped with this project. And of course, everybody who has bought the book. Uh, thank you. Thank you very, very much. Uh, leave a review on Amazon, by the way. <laughs> uh, need that uh, Need that good feedback. So uh, before we get into things real quick, those listening to the podcast version of this later, uh, please join us every Wednesday night, 8 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time, ConnectedUniversePortal.com. And then we have a, a, a public side on uh, the YouTube channel, the Mike Ricksecker YouTube channel. Uh, but those that are members, you're going to have the after show tonight, which be, uh, we'll do a little bit of a, a special after show, I suppose. And... Um, for those uh, that are wondering, how do I become a member? Well, uh, you go to ConnectedUniversePortal.com. There's a 30-day free trial for that. Of course, you get all the special access into the Wednesday class, but there's a ton of information out there as well. You've got all kinds of articles out there. You've got the uh, all the Egypt videos. you got Ireland videos, American Southwest, all that wonderful stuff uh, behind the scenes. We've got uh video blogs, all kinds of stuff. So uh, that's connected, connecteduniverseportal.com for those listening to the uh, podcast later. Oh, and those watching live that are not yet members. There we go. All right, and for those that are members, remember, go ahead and get the app. Uh, that'll give you all kinds of uh, notifications and things like that on your phone when posts get made uh, on the portal site, when we go live here, all that great stuff. So I don't want to take too long with uh, you know all the frilly stuff at the beginning. We want to get into... Uh, this topic, right? Well, let's go ahead and start with the class question for this evening. Uh, I was a little slow on actually posting it uh, tonight just because so much st stuff going on, been kind of crazy, but class question for this evening, would you use time travel to observe history, change a moment in time, or do something else? And uh, so did have Tom McNicholas respond to that. He said that uh, he would only be an observer. You change an event, it may cause you to also change any positive event that may have occurred during that same period of time. Time really exists. And yeah, I got to chuckle at that one if time really exists because uh, you know, that's, that's my catchphrase here at the end of all of our shows. Does time really exist? Or if time really exists? Because it doesn't. And that's really what this evening is about. So uh, we have some people already down there in the chat. Uh, there's Tom. He says the book is a very good read. Appreciate that, Tom. In a can't wait. Saw you on Fade to Black last night. Thank you. Uh, yeah, Jimmy Church's show. That was a fun time. I always always enjoy going on Jimmy's show. Uh, he, he knows his stuff. And it was a really thought-provoking discussion that we had. And it was really kind of a crazy... A uh, couple of days because I'd just been out in, in L.A., flew back, uh, arrived here at midnight, 3 a.m. I was uh, on an interview with George Norrie uh, till 5 a.m. Had to be br up bright and early because it's book release day and boom, 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 stuff is going on. And then uh, capped off last night with uh, Faded Black and Jimmy Church. So uh, that was that was pretty wild. 
There's Jen. Jen is down in the house. Great to see you, my love. Uh, Crow Emil S. Great to see you as well. There's Sylvain. Sylvain is in the house. Judy Wilson is here. Wonderful. Great to see so many familiar faces. So, all right. This is what we're going to do this evening. Travels through time. Now, um, not going to give away the whole book because obviously I want you guys to buy the book, right? <laughs> not, yeah, there's no, there's no hiding that. I want you to get the book. But um, you know, we're going to highlight some things uh, throughout the text and give you some you know, really kind of like a preview of what's in there. And some of these topics we have discussed here before on connecting the universe. And I, I did use a lot of material that we have talked about in the past within the book. So sure, there's going to be some familiar things in here for people that have been you know, following along for the last several years. Uh, but there's some new stuff in there as well that, um, that I haven't yet talked about. Because of course, I didn't want to just take the shows and just copy paste into a book, right? Uh, no, there's a lot of uh, new stuff that is uh, within the text. But um, we're going to kind of highlight some things here. And uh, yeah, Wayne was also listening or uh, watching Fade to Black last night. That's awesome. And then Judy, yeah, uh, listen to George all the time. And uh, prior to that, Art Bell. Okay. So what we're going to do uh, is kind of step almost really chapter by chapter. So chapter one, uh, where we start off with that is I, I call the chapter cycles of time. And this is where we get into that ancient alchemy, the ancient symbolism. And to really, it really sets up the whole rest of the book that the first two chapters really do that. Well, I could say first three, because for the third one is also ancient perspectives on time. So, you know, and where we start, you guys have heard me talk about this one before, is the Anita Project. Uh, right away, and we're not even diving into the past immediately. We are talking about something that is modern. But this is something that really, really got me thinking here uh, the last few years. And what this project is, basically, they're studying neutrinos down there in Antarctica. And what they had discovered was something very strange, something very odd, in which the neutrinos were working in a very bizarre fashion. They're actually running in reverse of the way they were supposed to. Okay, why are we talking about this sort of thing? Well, there was uh, a series of articles that came out uh, a few years back, and they basically announced, hey, we have a parallel universe running in reverse time, according to these reports down there in Antarctica. These were coming up in um, like New Scientist, New York Post, things like this. And out of the bigger mainstream traditional type of media just really downplayed it. They're like, this is ridiculous. Um, you know, don't be listening to this sort of stuff. And so it was just basically like ostracized from, uh, from traditional science until earlier this year, there was a peer reviewed paper, scientific paper by scientists was published in uh, Annals of Physics. And what is it? A parallel universe running in reverse time, according to uh, these tests that are being run down there with the Anita Project and the Ice Cube Project. So kind of vindicated, right? You go back to some of the uh, mainstream articles and they have a little, uh, almost like a little asterisk in there saying, well, you know, there has since been a scientific report that came out uh, saying otherwise. And they just kind of leave it at that. Yeah, they add, added like a little line to the text and done. Uh, their opinion still stands. But now we have a scientific paper to back it up. And so this is really where uh, this book starts, is talking about parallel universes and the way time works and how we see this in our symbolism, our ancient symbolism. Uh, and I tie this into the Ouroboros. And this is something that I come back to again and again and again uh, throughout the text of the book. And when we look at this, what I find fascinating, especially about this particular depiction, this is not the first depiction of the Ouroboros that uh, we see throughout history. This is the oldest known one. This is on the shrine of King Tut, Tutankhamun, uh, basically that big box that housed the sarcophagus. That's the oldest one we know of. But this one here has a lot of alchemical symbolism in it. 
we're not going to get into all of that. But uh, what is wonderful about this when we look at it, this is an illustration by Theodorus Pelicanos in the 1400s. But he had copied this. This is a copy of an alchemical tract that dates back to the time of Synesius. And Synesius uh, was around the late 390s, 400 AD, around that time. And while the Library of Alexandria was gone by that point, there was the uh, there was the Serapium that was there that was basically like a it was a sister library to the Library of Alexandria. So it had some of the texts uh, that had been at the Library of Alexandria. Anything that had survived that unfortunate destruction would have been there. And that was still around for a while. Eventually lost, of course, uh, as most things in Alexandria eventually were. But when we look at this, we're actually seeing something from that time. We also see a lot of symbolism here. Um, of course, the snake eating its own tail. You see the two different colors. And here we have duality, as above, so below. And so when I look at this thing, okay, you have uh, the symbolism of recycle and renewal. Okay, that's what this is supposed to represent. You know, the you know, cycle of life over and over and over again. When, uh, you know, when, when life dies, like say tree, plants, whatever, when life dies, it disintegrates into the ground, and then from that springs forth again new life. It's that constant recycle renewal. But they didn't mean this in just, you know, your trees outside and, you know, the animals running through the forest. This was a symbol for the entire universe. The entire universe recycles and renews. And again, you have the duality as above, so below. So these are our two tracks. We're talking, you know, a parallel universe. So we have ours running in one direction, and we have uh, a second one running in another direction. And where they meet here, oh, we can't see my pointer, but where they meet at the mouth, the mouth and the tail, that's the Big Bang. So when somebody asks, okay, what was before the universe? Well, the universe, what's going to come after this universe? The universe is constant recycle renewal. And this really kind of sets up the whole book. We talk throughout the book about recycle renewal, uh, these things happening again and again and again in a cycle. Now let's actually get into time. Chapter two is stack time theory. And I like Tom here. In reverse, does that mean my death till my birth? Tom, I'm going to say the very last chapter, and I don't call them chapters in the book, I call them cycles, by the way, um, the 12th, uh, which I call final cycle until the next. Uh, I think you will like that. Basically, you're in it, my friend. <laughs> um, and that might answer your question there. So when we talk about time, okay, um, you know, we have this wonderful quote from Albert Einstein. The distinction between past, present, and future is only a stubbornly persistent illusion. Now, years ago, um, the thought had occurred to me, this is like a couple decades ago, the thought had occurred to me that you know, all time, past, present, future, is all concurrent, all happening at the same time. And like, take where you are sitting or standing right now. Everything that has happened is happening and will happen in that spot is already there. Everything. We are stuck ourselves in our, our consciousness in what we call time, okay? Time is a human construct to describe our reality. So, you know, to plant the crops on time, tell the seasons, to be able to, you know, get to work uh, at the right moment so you know, your, your boss doesn't get upset, that sort of thing. It's a tool that we've created to kind of help move about uh, in our existence. But it doesn't really exist. Again, going back to Einstein, it's an illusion. Here's the thing. When we talk about like the river of time, it's an interesting analogy, okay? And there's a flow, right, going downstream. 
times consistently going one direction down the stream. Well, when we think about a river, what's making it flow? There's a little bit of a slope, sure, but it's the banks of the river, right? If there were no banks to the river, it would just, everything would just spill out and be just one stagnant pool of water. But the banks help concentrate it into a flow into one direction. So here's another way to look at it as well. This is kind of a you know, random Google map, right? Actually know the town, it's south of here. But let's say, okay, this road that's going from the left to the right, let's say it takes you 10 minutes to drive down that road. You know, there's some, uh, there's some houses, there's some stores, you know, a couple of restaurants, that sort of thing. And it takes you 10 minutes to get from the left side to the right side, or as you're going down the road, maybe you're, maybe you're going 35 miles an hour and it takes you 10 minutes to go through there with this particular map. Okay. You get in a plane, you go overhead, you see it all at once. You're not seeing, you know, first the store, then a house, then a gas station. You're seeing everything all at once. What had previously been in time is now in space. And so that is really the difference here. When we talk about stack time, when we talk about the fifth dimension, because time is the fourth dimension. We have we have a line that's uh, first dimension, you can, we have a point, it's zero dimension. Some physicists believe in that, others don't. Um, so you have point, line. Second dimension is just a plane, you know, like, like a piece of paper, something very flat, right? Third dimension are objects, you know, like that, it's a 3D object there. Fourth dimension is time. And that's where we reside. That's where our consciousness resides. And what's fascinating is our consciousness resides in a three-dimensional object, our bodies, which instantly makes us a multi-dimensional being, right? And when you go to the fifth dimension, that takes you above time. It takes you outside of time. And somebody in the fifth dimension in any other dimension above that can see time almost like an object. We've applied some different ideas to that, uh, like the Tesseract. And I don't mean the Marvel magic cube um, where they, you know, they have the little box and it opens up a portal. No, <laughs> no. Um, but the idea of a Tesseract is you have your three-dimensional object like a cube. I should have brought up the graphic. Uh, and they've essentially put another cube on top of that to represent another dimension. And, you know, it's, it's kind of a head scratcher. It's like you just used a 3D object to describe something that's not in 3D space. So a um, couple of examples that I use in the book, one from Michio Kaku that he actually used on the shadow person episode of uh, ancient aliens, along with me. And, um, you know, he described it as, you know, take fish in a pond and we'll say their pond is two-dimensional space. Okay. And that's all they know is life in the pond. They have no idea what's going on around that pond. Like let's say it's in a park. They have no idea about the people walking by, uh, you know, the, the past throughout the park, the trees, all that stuff. You pull the fish out of the pond and then, you know, they're going to be amazed at what they see. There's going to be a a world that they had no idea existed. They're going to be seeing things that, you know, totally blows their mind because it is to them another dimension above that pond. I also use a, a quote from Andrew Collins in there from uh, his book with Gregory Little, Origins of the Gods, in which uh, he talks about, uh, you know, in two-dimensional space, if somebody living uh, in two-dimensional space, say like on a tabletop or whatever, um, if all of a sudden a 3D object came into view, they wouldn't see all of the dimensions because they don't have the dimensional capacity to be able to do that. Uh, the, the geometry isn't there for them. And let's say it was like a, uh, like a ball, like a, uh, a sphere that came into their area. 
all they would see, and let's say it's like passing through the table, all they would see is a circle, because that's 2D space. They would see a, a, a circle start small and then go wide as it was, you know, got to the, the maximum, uh, and then it would contract back down. That's all they would see, because they don't have uh, the capacity for that other dimension. Same thing with us. Right now, we don't have the dimensional capacity you know, within us right now in this dimension to be able to witness the fifth. Every, but see, every once in a while, I think we get a glimpse. And so like that example with, um, with the 2D world and all they see is the circle. Getting a glimpse of the circle is getting a brief glimpse of something from another dimension. Even though they only see it as a 2D object, it's still a third, a third dimensional object that is interacting with them. And I believe there are times where we have things from other dimensions that are interacting with us. And what we see from that, we don't quite understand. And that's why we end up, we end up calling these things supernatural in nature. You know, it might be, you know, the figure of a person that could be a shadow person. It could be something shimmery in nature. It could be, uh, you know, a mist or a wisp or, you know, maybe even like an apparition type of a thing. Uh, there's a lot of strange things that we see and witness that from another dimension as it passes through here doesn't really make a lot of sense to us. But we do glimpse these things from, from time to time. So, Getting back to, okay, the stack. Just a photo from some years back when uh, old YouTube video that I had done trying to explain this. And, you know, imagine that every moment where you're sitting, like I had explained before, uh, every moment of time from beginning to end is a photograph that you stack on top of them. Every once in a while, two of those moments will resonate at the same frequency for just a moment. And that's when we start getting a glimpse of some of these different things. Yeah, everything within our world is, you know, resonance, frequency, vibration. Uh, there's all, there's an electrical charge to that. And, uh, and that's really what connects us together. Um, you know, some of you were watching the uh, show with Jimmy last night. And one of the uh, uh, examples that I brought up a couple of times is the Chandra X-ray telescope image that um, in fact it's uh it's actually within the back of this book uh and mixed that image with a um with a star field but um what's fascinating about that image and you'll see it used in a lot of my uh like the connected universe portal you know that site and, and uh, a lot of other things the connecting the universe art it looks very purplish and pink in nature and it has all of these like yellow dots and these yellow and orangish strands and filaments and things like this. It looks like a giant web. And when you look at it, you're really not sure what you're looking at at first. But it's actually a photo of the universe. And it was when I first saw that image, it was like ding, 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 you know, lights go off. Oh, the universe really is connected you know even you know physically you know these are all the yellow dots are galaxies and these strands these web type of filaments are all interstellar gases that are connecting these different galaxies to each other it's absolutely fascinating so everything is connected as is every moment in time from beginning to end and each one has its own resonance and frequency and vibration just like each person does, right? Uh, uh, you know, resting, sitting, uh, resonance of a human being is anywhere from like six, or I'm sorry, uh, nine to 16 hertz, right? But everybody's a little bit different within there. Uh, and, and Tom, I'm not gonna, uh, not gonna go down the, the road of the uh, story of the little girl, but it's a great example of how we all saw this apparition of a little girl a bit differently. And that's because we all have a different personal resonance frequency vibration. So same thing with these different moments. And so when two of them resonate at the same frequency, sometimes that's where we get a glimpse of another moment in time. We'll get a little bit into time slips here uh, in a little while. So 
that's chapter two. I probably spent a little bit longer on that than uh, I wanted to, but uh, you know, that's really the um, the backbone of the book. It's stack time theory, and that permeates uh, throughout the rest of this. So, um, yeah, it sounds like now that I know I'm in the end of the book, gonna uh, skip to the end. Nice, nice. Um, and so Judy asks, is, is the fifth where we lose the physical body? So, you know, the physical, you know, physical body, um, you know, like, you know, the book, like, you know, computer mouse, that's a 3D object. The, uh, the consciousness, right, that is fourth dimension. That's, you know, we are in time. Fifth dimension, we can speculate as to what that is. And you hear a lot of people talking about ascending to the fifth dimension and things like this. It's like, okay, you know, I get what, where you're, you know, what you're trying to say. You're trying to, uh, you know, uh, raise your vibration to a, a higher realm, a higher level of consciousness. But if you were to really ascend to the fifth dimension, then you would be able to see all time. A great example of this in, in reality, it probably does not truly like look like this, but I think a great example of it, um, of trying to depict it, was in the movie Interstellar. And the end of that movie confused a lot of people. Uh, for some people, they said, you know, kind of ruined the movie. To me, it was brilliant. <laughs> because it actually tries to depict what a Tesseract really should be. You know, we were using that term. Um, and this would be a uh, three-dimensional, what they did is they took a, a three-dimensional representation of a little girl's room every single moment, basically connected with strands, with, with vibrating strings, which I thought was pretty ingenious because then that kind of, in the back of your mind, you're you know going to string theory, every, all these different strands are connected. And again, going back to what I was describing earlier with the connections of the universe of different filaments. So uh, he could move about within this structure because every moment was there to find the right one to be able to communicate back. So um, I thought that was brilliant. So, all right. So other things uh, within this book. So I do go into ancient perspectives on time. Um, just, you know, real quickly, we get into the uh, uh, Egyptian Book of the Dead, which is really the book of going forth by day. But within here, uh, Annie is, it's uh, the Papyrus of Ani. Uh, Ani is asking, even though it's Thoth, he's actually asking Atom about, the nature of time. And basically the way Atom describes it uh, is, you know, millions and millions of years upon millions and millions of years. And so he's actually describing different layers of time and not just, you know, one straight river, but there's actually, uh, time is actually multifaceted and there's uh, different layers to it, which is an interesting concept. Of course, we earlier already talked about the Ouroboros around uh, King Tut. And we see this in other uh, tombs around the Valley of the Kings, but this is the uh, first one. Now, just because this is the oldest representation that we know of does not mean it's the oldest representation ever, right? And sure, there's going to become a point of inspiration in which we start to use a particular symbol or design, you're usually probably not going to immediately start using that on the shrine of your recently deceased king. You know, it, it was probably already in use before that, but this is so far the oldest representation that we see of it. And what's also interesting about this is it's not just around his head like this. There's also another one, uh, if I was to pan the photo uh, lower, but this this is a cropped image. Uh, it's also around his uh, feet and ankles as well. Basically, they want to, uh, it's a representation of recycle renewal of life for the king. You know, they want him to, of course, you know, rise again into a new life, which would be you know, out at the uh, the constellation of Orion. All right. 
So paradoxes. Now, when we start talking about time travel, you know, it's prone to different paradoxical, uh, paradoxical situations, right? Uh, so I have, there's an entire chapter there on paradoxes. I'm not going to dive into all of those, but, um, you know, like bootstrap paradox, grandfather paradox. I do talk about the Fermi paradox, just on the fact that it's, it is a type of paradox. It doesn't really have to do with time, but uh, I love squashing that one. <laughs> so I put it in there. Uh, catch 22s, things like that. Um, I do talk about, you know, the effect that paradoxes can have in the universe. Uh, again, last night on Jimmy's show, we talked uh, quite a bit of, on uh, the Mandela effect. And, you know, this is really a result of some of these paradoxes playing out. So you get a time traveler. And this is a, a representation of the grandfather paradox. Uh, you know, you have a time traveler that goes back to the time of his grandfather. Something happens uh, because of his intervention and his grandfather dies, which therefore means his, father's not, his father is not born and therefore he is not born. Now, when we look at like our pop culture, like Back to the Future, you know, the way they handled that was uh, Marty McFly started to disappear because he had prevented his own, the, the creation of himself. But I really don't think that's the way it plays out. Uh, I don't think he would completely, I don't think he would disappear, actually. I think he would remain uh, within that time frame. And now you have basically, uh, you know, that time is playing out in a different manner. It goes back to the idea of, you know, what happened, happened. So like in the show Lost, you know, they had gone back and interfered with everything before they actually showed up on the island. Whatever had happened, happened. So I don't think that if you went back in time and you know, accidentally killed your grandfather or did something that prevented uh, or that did uh, you know, cause your grandfather's death, um, I don't think you would disappear. I think you would continue to uh, go on in this new timeline that is being played out. And it's not really a new timeline. I think it's like the same one. People will say that would create a whole other universe. Mm, I, th I think it's just going to rework the way the universe plays out. Now, that doesn't mean I don't believe in multiple universes. I do. Um, there are definitely in our theoretical physics, actual physical universes out there other than our own. I get more into this type of thing in like the, uh, the concepts of the simulated universe, which we'll take a look at uh, a little bit here. Now, what's interesting, a lot of people, because grandfather paradox is brought up basically in our science, uh, science fiction journalism, science fiction uh, type stories, that sort of thing. And so you know, it gets just discredited as a plot device. Except um, back in the 80s, you have Polchinski's paradox, and Polchinski was a physicist, and um, he was mulling about the idea. There was a um, another theory that was thrown out there that you know paradox could just never happen because of the math. Um, you know, the math all is always supposed to even out, right? So a paradox therefore couldn't happen because uh, the math says that would be zero. So Polchinski is talking with. Uh, Kip Thorne, and comes up with this idea of the billiard ball. So you shoot a billiard ball into a wormhole, and the other side of the wormhole is set up just behind and at a certain angle of the eight ball, and it knocks it off course when it comes back through so it doesn't actually enter the wormhole to begin with. Now, this idea, of course, is widely accepted because it was a physicist who proposed it. There are still its opponents, right? Um, but it is much more widely accepted than the grandfather paradox, but they're essentially the same thing, right? So in this one, you have a billiard ball that's being hit. Um, and as it comes back through just before uh, it goes through the wormhole, it hits it and knocks it off course so that it never enters there to begin with, which is the same thing as a grandfather paradox. You have something that goes back in time to prevent, you know, basically knock it off course 
so these other actions are prevented but it's more accepted because it was a theoretical physicist that came up with the idea okay <laughs> so um so yeah with within the book travels through time and by the way the link is down in the description i should have said that earlier uh the link to buy the book is down in the description uh on the on the youtube channel but for everybody else you can get it at amazon and everything uh so there is some science in the book right i mean we've talked about like the anita project and things like that earlier there's definitely science in the book but there's science in the book without being too sciencey there's metaphysics in the book without being too metaphysical and there's you know a number of anecdotal stories and and things of that a lot of input from other people uh so you know, I, I try to uh really kind of give a even playing field to a lot of different angles on this subject so yeah there's science we talk about uh averted vision the rods and cones uh we talk about Oh, that ended up kind of transparent, didn't it? <laughs> we talk about different brainwave patterns, especially when it comes to dreams. We talk about dreams and eternal knowledge in this book. So gamma, beta, alpha, theta, delta, all of those. Um, you know, we talk about the uh, the visible spectrum, and the human eye can only see in a you know very narrow range of that visible spectrum. So there's a lot of things around us that we cannot see with our eyes because of the physiology of the way our eyes uh, are constructed. Now, we do see things like you know, dogs and cats reacting to things that we can't see, right? Well, their eyes are built a little bit differently than us. They can actually see a bit into some of these other ranges uh, that we can't. Now, again, they also don't see everything, but they see more than we do. And it makes you wonder, what, what are they looking at? What do they see? Um, so and we, we try to come up with different devices like, you know, IR cameras, you know, the infrared goggles, that sort of thing. Um, there's full spectrum cameras, which are really not full spectrum. Um, but they're another range, right? So um, we try to come up with technology to help us see into these other ranges, but we still can't see into all of them. So that means there's a lot of other things going on around us that we don't normally see. So time slips, which is where we go next. A um, couple of stories I've talked about here, because again, I don't want to give away some of the other things in the book. Um, I don't normally talk about, I'm just trying to give you guys an idea here. Time slips. Um, there's the, the Conjuring House. Uh, I talked about this one on Coast to Coast the other night with, uh, with George Norrie. And, um, but you know, it's, it's, uh, it's a tale most people in the paranormal circles are aware of that. Um, and of course it's the house in Harrisville, Rhode Island that the movie, the conjuring is based off of the, the parent family and what they showed in the movies, of course, is not really what happened, but you know, that's Hollywood. You know, their haunting lasted for 10 years, the entire time that they lived there. And, uh, you know, with all the, you know, significant things that happened there with all the crazy hauntings, uh, even, you know, Andrea, the eldest daughter, is a very, very good friend of mine, um, will tell you that, you know, the most significant thing that happened there over all the years was what we would call a time slip. She doesn't immediately say that. She describes the story, and the story is basically um, Andrea's up one night doing homework. Um, it was just after the seance that had gone bad. You know, it wasn't a possession by Bathsheba. It was a seance that had gone bad, and... Um, Carolyn had gotten knocked backwards during this thing. And then Roger threw the Warrens out. Um, so she still was like recovering. And uh, she had been asleep for most of the night. Uh, woke up and you know, asked Andrea, hey, can you heat me up so, you know, some leftovers and you know, a little coffee, that sort of thing. And Andrea's all too helpful and goes and does it. Well, then um, during this time, you know, Carolyn's in the parlor, and while she's sitting there in the parlor looking out into the dining room area, she sees this 17th century family morph into existence in the parlor. There's a woman cooking over the, the fireplace, which at that point in time, the fireplace had been closed up. It had been for like 100 years. A couple of kids running around. There's two gentlemen sitting at a table with pewter steins, and they turn and they look at Carolyn sitting there in the parlor, and the one gentleman re remarks to the other, 
Well, would you look at that as if Carolyn was the ghost? So fascinating moment in which Carolyn is looking into the past and those people in the past are looking into the future at Carolyn. It's a time slip. Two moments in time resonating in the same frequency. They can see each other. It does happen. Um, of course, I talk about my story at Johnny V's. I've included this, in, of course, in A Walk in the Shadows as well. I think I also included it in Alaska's Mysterious Triangle because it's one of the more significant experiences that, that I've had. And it lasted all of about three seconds. Um, I don't want to dive too deep into it here because we only have about 20 minutes left uh, in this particular show. But essentially what it was was just a wisp of a shadow that I saw, and it slammed into this door. And it's just a flimsy little metal door. It's a you know, kitchen door for a restaurant. Um, it, you know, waiters and waitresses would uh, pass through with large trays of food. So it needed to be light and flimsy. And that's what you could tap it with your finger and it would move. But when that shadow hit it, you heard boom, the bang of it. I have that on audio clear as a bell. But the, do the door didn't move at all. And I thought others in, you know, the facility are playing a prank on me, but they were off in other areas. Um, I'm looking on the ground outside the door. Somebody throws something at nothing there. And again, if somebody had thrown something at the door, I would have seen the door move. So uh, the idea here is I, you know, saw something that was interdimensional in nature. And it could very well be time as well. Because again, time is another dimension. Or it's the fourth dimension. Um, so came up with this illustration to kind of describe it. On in our dimension, on our plane of existence, you know, I saw that shadow person, uh, and actually strike that, reverse it. <laughs> in the shadow person's dimension, on its plane of existence, I believe that it saw me some way, shape, or form. Maybe it saw me as a shadow. Maybe it saw me as a ghost. Whatever it was, and I scared it because that thing took off out of there. You know lickety split right and on its plane of existence or maybe on its point in time it blew right through that door that door opened wide and ran off out into the dining room area but on my plane of existence my dimension the door did not open because there was the physicality wasn't there for it right um however sound it's on a different wavelength and so I was able to hear it because that sound is on a different wavelength coming through the dimensional divide, but I couldn't see it because, again, different plane of existence. So I detailed all that, of course, you know, back in the book and as well as in A Walk in the Shadow. So you, you can get that one in a couple of different places. What comments here? Let me see. Um, yeah, Judy talking about two school teachers saw people dressed in period clothing. They were in Versailles. Yes, I do talk about the Versailles time slip. That is how I start the chapter off. Uh, Annie Moberly and Eleanor Jourdain. Um, and I actually uh, found their book and quoted them directly uh, from their own words. And that's something that I try to do, uh, you know, with, you know, with my books like this is when it comes to those more historic counts, okay, you can, you can Google it and find it all over the place, right? But that's people just kind of copying and pasting off of a website from somewhere and throwing it into their blog. And, you know, they're calling it, you know, a, you know, a new article or whatever. And that's one of the problems with the internet these days is, you know, people are just copying and pasting a couple of paragraphs from an article somewhere creating a clickbait title and boom, there you go. A couple, throw a couple of ads on the page and we're trying to get a few bucks off of um, people clicking into it. So you have this constant recycling of the same story verbatim. And it's like, well, let's actually go back because these two wrote a book under pseudonyms. These two actually wrote a book. Let's go back and see what it says in that book. So I actually quote them specifically. So... Um, all right, moving on. Um, then there's doppelgangers, right? Um, and the word doppelganger is German means double walker. A lot of people chalk this up as like an evil twin sort of thing. But actually, a lot of doppelganger cases seem to be more of time slips. One I always talk about here, uh, the famous German poet Goethe. And uh, he's walking down the road toward Drosselheim, 
uh, in Germany. He was having an affair with a woman, and he was uh, just kind of lost in his thoughts, kind of zoning out a little bit. And then he notices on the you know other side of the road at this one particular point, this you know this man is dressed in this gray gold trimmed suit. It was really noticeable because it's trimmed in gold and everything. And then all of a sudden, the guy vanishes into thin air. And Guts is like, what the heck did I just see? What was that about? Um, years later, he's walking down the same road, opposite direction, gets to that point on the road and looks down at himself. And he's like, oh, my gosh, I'm the guy in the gold trimmed gray suit. It was me all along. So. A lot of people chalk this up as Goethe's doppelganger. And it's like, no, it wasn't a doppelganger. It was just himself at two different points in time. And I think what happened here um, is that, yeah, again, we're having that um, you know, two points in time resonating at the same frequency. And I think the, you know, I usually say we don't know what the catalyst is here, right? Um, to, to be able to make it happen at will. But in a way, the catalyst here was Goethe himself, right? When he was first walking down that road, he was lost in thought. He was zoning out. He was basically in a type of meditative state. And it's kind of like, and everybody's kind of familiar with this. You know, you're you're out there mowing the lawn. It's kind of droning on. A lot of people kind of get lost in thought. And actually, there's a lot of creativity that can happen in the mind when you're doing something like that or washing dishes or you're out on a walk or, you know, driving down a, road that uh, long road that you're very familiar with you just kind of zone out um, and you know you have those moments where uh, you're used to taking this road and you know but you're supposed to turn early for whatever reason and you totally space it because you're zoned out thinking about other things and you miss that turn but it's a type of meditative state and I think that's what was going on with Gutta here was he was in a type of meditative state and he when he reached that point he was able to tune into himself from another point in time and was actually able to get a glimpse of himself. Really fascinating phenomenon. Um, I do talk about the uh, Emily Saget case, which is uh, which is another fascinating one. Uh, some people call this you know, one of the most fascinating doppelganger cases in history. Again, I don't believe it's a doppelganger case. I think it's interdimensional phasing is what it is. And I detail that. And again, this is another one that I uh, went back into the historic texts to get the story, not going to, you know, the, you know, 500 different websites that are all quoting each other and citing each other. Uh, no, I went back into the historic text where this story originally appeared from and got the story from there. It was actually large chunks of the original story in there. So what I mean by interdimensional phasing is in within this particular photo here, you see that I've, uh, you know, you have one solid uh, depiction of the school teacher, and this is not Emily Saget herself. There is no photo of her. You know, we're, we're talking like you know, mid 1800s. This is just a historic uh, photo of a school teacher in her class. And you can see she's kind of shifted to the right there. What would happen? One of the things in the classroom is there are times that, um, she would get like really into whatever she was doing and writing on the board that all of a sudden there was another one of her off on the side, uh, mimicking the exact same motions just without the chalk in the hand. And that's because, um, you know, her energy, again, it was like this shift. Well, her physical body, you know, the physical 3D body is holding the chalk. But, you know, her consciousness is uh, part of her in another dimension again you know, fourth dimensional consciousness inside a three dimensional body, that part had shifted. It's not going to be holding the chalk because it's not no longer within the, th the three dimensional body. So it's, there's not going to be a uh, fourth dimensional representation of the piece of chalk, right? Uh, kind of an easier way to kind of, and that one also had a uh, <laughs> transparent background. Um, but, you know, typical idea of a uh, phase shift. So this is a, a phase shift of a sine wave. That's you know, kind of the basic idea here. Um, we do talk about um, 
collective unconscious talk uh akashic records so uh, dreams and and all these sorts of things and how like you know dreams can tap into the collective unconscious even in your conscious state you can you know tap into the collective unconscious again um go into like a meditative state and you start tapping into that um so we talk about these different things i had uh mark anthony chimed in on uh on dreams uh and then Emily Harrison chimed in on the Akashic Records. So I'm not going to dive into all that stuff here, but, um, you know, through your dream state, because again, this goes back to the different uh, brainwaves. You can tap into other moments in time. That's why when you have those premonitory dreams and you, uh, you know, you have this dream of, it just could be just some random place. Um, you know, like, oh, that was an interesting dream. And then two weeks later, all of a sudden you walk into a room and you're like, I've never been here, but this is the place that I just had a dream about, you know, two weeks ago. Uh, you know, so what happened there? Well, your consciousness was able to tap into another moment in time and get a glimpse of it. And what's fascinating about that is it's also in another physical part of the universe, too. So I do uh, also get into simulated universe. We've talked about that uh, at length here many times on uh, connecting the universe. And, you know, this is something that, um, you know, our religious texts have talked about for thousands of years, just not using the term simulation. So, you know, you take your, uh, you know, your Eastern religions, you know, they believe in reincarnation. They're basically describing exactly what we do when we get into a, a simulation or a video game or whatever. But basically, you're you're in your world, your normal world. You log in, so basically come into life, and you play the game or operate the simulation. You know, a simulation could be like a flight simulator or you know, really a variety of different things. You play that out pass away which is basically you logging out and boom now you're back in in the home world so that quote-unquote home world um the properties of that are going to be different than here now the the way we typically do a lot of our simulations they are going to simulate something we're familiar with um Something like a flight simulator is supposed to be like a straight simulation. You want it to be as exact as possible so that you don't crash a plane later. But other ones, um, you know, have a lot of bending and breaking of, of the rules, right? So you think of like something like Super Mario where, um, you know, you're making these big jumps and you're hitting bricks and they turn into mushrooms and stuff like that, right? That doesn't really happen, you know, in our world, in life. Running does. Yeah, <laughs> dressing like a plumber when that was kind of a still outrageous plumber's costume, but that happens, right? Mustaches happen, uh, but some of these other things like shooting fireballs and all that, eh, no, um, you know, but there's some basic concepts that are there. So given that, um, wherever it is that we originate from, the rules there are going to be different. They're not going to be operating the same you know, playing field here as on earth or in this universe. So that also includes time. Time is a measurement, again, a human construct that we've attributed to the way we experience our reality within this universe. But the rules of this universe were put together elsewhere they are assigned to here. They're not exactly the same as wherever it is we go, which is on another dimension. So wherever that is, they experience time. We experience time because our consciousness is being projected into us very differently. Um, I do go into some of Tesla's ideas about um, AI. Uh, a lot of things started back there with him. He course he was thinking gears and uh you know radio waves and things like that but he a lot of the principles and ideas were uh were there with him kind of whip through these last couple ones here uh, of course ufos and uh et abductions time loss you know what happens there 
um, you know, people will say that they, um, you know, when they're taken, you know, there's this big gap of time that they can't account for. Sometimes it's just completely, a, you know, they're completely oblivious. Like I was driving down the road, saw a flash of light, and now it's two hours later. What happened? But other times people will describe uh, events in which, you know, it seems like they've been gone for 5, 10, 15 minutes. And they describe this very, very vivid experience that lasted in their mind 5, 10, 15 minutes. And when they come back, it's been hours. It's been days. You know, it's a, it's a very, very significant difference. And that could very well be because wherever those extraterrestrials are taking those people are on another dimensional plane that they are outside time and they're somewhere else so while conceivably in our mind it's like okay you know you still have your kind of like internal clock for lack of a better term or a biological clock where we have a sense because we've been um we've been conditioned with that our entire lives so that's always going to be there that, you know, we're going to think, okay, you know, this amount of quote unquote time passes, oh, it's been about five minutes, 10 minutes, et cetera. Um, where if you are outside the dimension of time, fifth dimension and beyond, it, it's not working the same. So we see this actually throughout history. You know, when we uh, hear about different stories of, you know, the fairies and the fairy realm, um, you know, it's not to be taken lightly. You know, it was the same phenomena they were experiencing back then. But instead of extraterrestrials, they were describing it as being taken into the fairy realm. But it's the same exact concept here that, you know, the, the person gets taken uh, to wherever that realm is. Time seems to be very, very short. And when they reappear, it's been much longer. So let's see what else we have here. Um, future influencing the past. Um, that's uh, that's a fun one. Uh, that, of course, uh, we talked earlier about paradoxes, grandfather paradox, you know, somebody coming back in time influencing the past. We see it play out with the uh, the Mandela effects. We go down, you know, some of those different examples. Uh, something like ESP. Um, that is something where you're tapping into the future. There's some interesting cases there where, you know, you have a premonition of a catastrophe that's about to happen. And, you know, it's like, okay, that was just like a dream or a vision I had or something like that. But then all of a sudden in your real life, you're in that situation. And because you had that dream or you had that vision, you now have knowledge and you prevent that accident that you saw in your mind from happening. So, you know, it could be just, it could be a warning from the future. It could be you actually saw, talk about parallel universe running in reverse time. It could be you saw a glimpse of that parallel universe where there was a different outcome and then you were able to prevent that outcome from happening. A lot of interesting ways in which to look at that. I have a nice little fun personal story uh, in here as well. And that's with uh, Jen and I. So when we got together last year, uh, you know, we've known each other since first grade. And uh, one of our first interactions was in the library there, Juniper Park Elementary. And I'm looking through a stack of books and all of a sudden, boom, Jen plants one right on my cheek. You know, totally surprised me. Again, we really didn't have much interaction before that. Um, I'd, I'd like to say we've been dating ever since we were six years old, you know, <laughs> and life happened. Uh, but in any case, that was, you know, our first you know, big connection was that it's our first kiss for uh, for us. So um, years later, and I had asked her at times, why in the world? And she was just like, well, you know, you had this chubby cheek that was, you know, sitting out there and something told me to kiss it. Okay. So you know, last year we, we get together on the Ireland tour and um, come back stateside and we, Jen still lives out East. And so we go to, uh, and her parents still live in our old hometown. So we go there, go to the old hometown 
and we're doing a tour of the school. It's not a performing arts center for the college, but you know, we're walking around the exterior of the school. Couldn't go inside. We're looking through windows and stuff like that. So this is the uh, exterior of what had been the library at that school. And so we're looking through the, the window there, actually through the that door, uh, which is like you know one giant window, right? Um, and we're looking in through there at you know the way everything's kind of put together now and everything. We see the spots like right there. Um, and Jin just starts exclaiming, kiss him, kiss him. You know, pretty cute. Um, but it got us thinking later on, like, wait a second here. Back in first grade, Jin didn't know what it was that told her to kiss me. And now it's like, was it herself? Was it her future self? You know, this moment in 2022 telling her way back then to kiss me. So it's one of those, it's a bootstrap paradox, right? Because there's no, there's no origin to it. If that was the case, you know, it's one of those where, you know, we would have already had to be in the future standing there at the door for her to exclaim, you know, kiss him, kiss him, for her to be able to hear back then in first grade those words and then kiss me. So it's that constant cycle going back to the Ouroboros. That's what I said, you know, throughout the book, I bring that Ouroboros back in and again and again. So it's a constant cycle. But again, if you have stack time theory like we've been talking about, you just really have those two moments in the stack, the one calling back out to the other across uh, across time like that. So it's a nice, fun story. All right, a couple comments in here. Um, okay, so Jen was actually asking, did the older version see his younger version too, or did he just realize it was him based on the clothing? Uh, okay, we're that's all the way back on um, Guta. Um, I mean, he ended up realizing it was him, mostly based on the clothing. But you know, once once he saw the clothing and realized he was in the same spot, et cetera, et cetera, you know, the whole vision popped into his mind. And he was like, "Oh my gosh, that that was me." You know, when he was first walking down the road at that first, and he didn't recognize that as himself. He just recognized, he just you know saw the suit and everything. And you give it a glance, and then the guy disappeared. Um, yeah. Yeah, and a kiss, not a punch. <laughs> yes. All right. So as we're getting down here toward the uh, end, technically we are at the end. Is that the hour mark? Uh, so I'll kind of whip through the, uh, the last couple of things here. Um, like I said, we do talk a bit on uh, ESP. Uh, going back to some science, when we get to like real time travel, uh, we talk like portals and things like that. Um, X points out in space. We already know portals exist. Uh, you know, NASA has been sending satellites up there to study those out in space. And the X points are basically where the earth's magnetic field and the, um, the solar wind meet in space. And there are these portals that open and close very varying times, varying sizes, and it basically, um, sends that solar wind to the earth quicker, uh, than usual. And that's when we start getting the aurora borealises and stuff like that. Um, uh, Hatchet Sub's Temple would bring in some of the uh, ancient stuff here again. You know, actual you know stargates and things like this. Uh, in ancient times, did they use those stargates to uh, travel not just to other places in the cosmos, but other points in time? And through all of this, I've not mentioned one of the things that greatly, greatly influenced this book and that's a movie somewhere in time by richard matheson because i could talk about that movie all night all day um it's one of my favorite all-time movies and i believe when we talk about real time travel it's going to be more like that particular movie than it will something like a delorean in a flux capacitor real time travel will have less to do with mechanics, machinery, that sort of thing. And we'll have to do with ourselves because it comes back down to our consciousness, our personal resonance, frequency, and vibration. I think 
when we get to real time travel, because we're already seeing glimpses of other moments in time, right? We, we have a hard time understanding, again, what that catalyst is. How did Goethe see himself? Some somehow he tuned into that moment of a future version of himself. But I believe there's a way that you can consciously do that. Somehow you can train your personal resonance to be able to tune into these other moments up and down the stack. You can freely move through it at will. With somewhere in time, uh, the way Matheson described it was uh, Christopher Reeve's character, Richard Collier, uh, he basically convinced himself that he was back in 1912. He like removed all modern amenities out of his hotel rooms, the Grand Hotel, Mackinac Island, removed all modern amenities out of the room, dressed himself in period clothing, you know, uh, you know, got money from the time frame, all these different things to convince himself. He started playing subliminal messages to convince himself that he truly was in 1912 and he was able to will his consciousness basically get on that frequency of that year to will himself back to 1912. And I think that is more of the way it would be uh, when we talk about real time travel. And this is something I will admit I have attempted before, and I do have a story I start off uh, the book with, and I kind of wrap back into it a little bit uh, toward the end of where I tried to do this. So I'd seen the movie. I tried to actually legitimately do it. Uh, because basically, I had moved from that town in Massachusetts to Ohio. I was homesick. I wanted to go back in time to see my friends one, one last time. So here's a younger shot of me. Uh, it would have been uh, probably uh, six months before this that I would have tried that. Um, I was not successful, but I almost did have an out-of-body experience. So I was getting somewhere with it. And because of the sensations and things that I was feeling at that time, it was like this wave and electric feel and all this stuff. Um, it totally shocked me right out of it because I was not expecting that sort of thing. Um, but I believe that's the way real time travel would happen. All right. So we are we are a few minutes past our normal time here. I do want to thank everybody for joining us this evening. Those listening to the podcast version later, please, of course, join us uh, the live version, get the whole presentation, slideshow. Some, a lot of times we run videos too. Uh, connecteduniverseportal.com. And there's Tom McNicholas with a $5 super chat. Super chat superstar, Tom McNicholas. He says, interesting paradox. Thank you very much, my friend. I appreciate that. Uh, so again, link for the book is down below in the uh, description on the YouTube side. Of course, I've been throwing that link up there all over my social media. It's on my website, MikeRicksecker.com. It's also on the ConnectedUniversePortal.com. Grab it. A uh, lot of interesting ideas, concepts, um, thorough examination of fourth dimension, time travel, stack time theory. So, all right, everybody. Enjoy your evening. Till next time. Oh, and those that are uh, part of the Connected Universe Portal... <laughs> <laughs> come join us for the after show on the portal side. So jump over from, uh, if you're on YouTube right now, jump over from YouTube, uh, pop on the portal. Those that are already on the portal, stay right there. Till next time, time really exists. <laughs>